Welcome to the Tome to the Weather Machine podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Hall, and this week I had the really wonderful opportunity to talk to Daniel Weish. Daniel is a musician and teacher living in Chicago, working mostly in solo and collaborative improvisation. Daniel's put out some really great records on Astral Spirits and various labels across a variety of formats. Daniel is also involved in the incredible Quarantine the Concert series through Elastic Arts in the Experimental Sound Studio. I had a great time talking to Daniel. Unfortunately, there was quite a bit that I had to cut out due to internet issues on my end that have now thankfully been fixed. We pick up talking about Daniel's love for science fiction, and that dovetails really nicely into a conversation about how experimental music fosters new ways of hearing sounds and allows us to imagine new worlds with our own laws. Please support Daniel by purchasing his music and Elastic Arts by watching the Quarantine the Concert series and donating to the performers. 100% of your proceeds go to them. And without further delay, here's the interview. Hello. Madeline from Midwife. David Nance. Seth Graham. Kiaville. Mike from Uniform. Lee Noble. Braden J. What part of New Jersey? Um, well, it's kind of, I grew up in South Jersey, which is um, kind of its own world. Um, I'm from a place called the Pine Barrens, which um, if people know it, they may know it from early episodes of The Sopranos, where uh, I think Tony and some of his friends bury a body there. Um, it's a big forest that covers most of the southern part of the state. I rarely meet people who are also from the Pine Barrens, but it's really beautiful. It's kind of its own ecosystem. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's slowly being destroyed like anything that's good, but it is often, a lot of it's protected. Um, I recently found out that a music journalist that I am a huge fan of, um, Kim Kelly, if you know her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Grim Kim. She, she was like a metal journalist, but she also is like an incredible like left like labor reporter. And so she writes a lot of fantastic stuff for Teen Vogue, actually, and a bunch of other shit. I mean, she just completely rules. It turns out she's from even like deeper into the Pine Barrens than I am, like the dead center of the woods. I, f- I found this out on Twitter the other day and I was like, you know, <laughs> is is that the Sopranos episode where um, they go and they shoot that guy, but he gets away and they never find his body? Oh, God, I I can't remember now. Actually, okay. it's been a long time since I watched The Sopranos, and I a friend of mine told me my friend Claire was like, "You should rewatch The Sopranos because uh, then we got into some academic conversation about like, you know, um, psychoanalysis and race and immigration and all this other cool stuff that's actually I like." And somehow um, Sopranos got left off the table. No, that's why. We, oh, you know, oh, that's okay. the sub. Yeah, <laughs> okay. no, 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 no. In the all of that within the Sopranos. Yeah, got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got it. So, <laughs> I think it might be that episode, but yeah. <laughs> so that's where I'm from, and um, you know, um, yeah, it's a weird place, but I guess everybody's from a weird place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say Littleton, Colorado's where I'm from is a weird yeah. place for sure. One. Oh, sorry. Oh no, go ahead. Oh, the one thing that is lucky about. Uh, New Jersey is, is a really compact place. Uh, it's very small. There are tons of people in it, you know. So my hometown is about an hour, hour and a half drive to Philly, um, you know, and through the woods. So it's really weird. We would go in high school and like drive out to Philly and go hang out and like, go to shows and stuff. But like you'd be in the middle of nowhere and all of a sudden you'd be in a major city. It was really strange. And like 
my dad lives further north, so you can, you know, his his house, I can walk to a train from his house and go to New York on the train. So like I had that as well. Plus when I was younger, uh, in terms of music, there was a very, very strong scene in New Jersey. And I went to college at Rutgers, which is in New Brunswick, New Jersey. And I lived there for a really long time. Uh, I stayed for a while after college. So um, there was there was actually always stuff to do, you know. So. Tell me about the scene growing up. How how did you get exposed to that? So um, um, I went to I'm I turned forty this year, <laughs> so uh, which is weird. And I I was in school at Rutgers in New Brunswick from nineteen ninety eight, and I graduated in two thousand three, and then I left there in like two thousand five and moved to Philly. Um, but again, all kind of similar stuff. And I, you know, I had always, I started playing guitar when I was like a kid and I really was into music and I was really into, my parents had a fantastic record collection. They were, you know, um, my mom especially is just really great knowledge of like 60s rock and uh, well, Motown and stuff like that. So I kind of grew up with that stuff. Um, and then at some point in high school, middle school, I sort of like was exposed to punk through like, actually I'm pretty sure a very specific friend of my cousins who gave, who gave my cousin a bunch of Black Flag tapes and we like obsessed over them. Um, and then, you know, I was always, I was lucky also in that, in the, in that time, there was a couple of really good radio stations in New Jersey. There, FMU has been around forever, obviously. That was like a little bit out of my ambit, but, uh, there was a radio station called 106.3 um, WHTG. It was a, a kind of, you know, they called what they call the modern rock station, but they had a lot of wild stuff on there. I mean, like really interesting music and stuff. And I think like the later at night it got, the weirder it got too. So I actually still have, you know, um, this was, these were the days when you would put a, a cassette in your radio and have it primed to hit record when a song you came on you liked came on so like i actually have a ton of those tapes still from the station of just like there's essentially just mixtapes from taken right off the radio do you remember uh, what some of those early discoveries were oh like i i i mean again early early stuff um like actually since it was the anniversary of his death uh, yesterday like nirvana obviously was pretty pretty important at the time but then things like the meat puppets were always on and like um other things that I, I've always really liked, like uh, Nick Cave, you know, um, and, and Billy Bragg and things like that, that are like very, some of which and the Billy Bragg stuff kind of gets into the political side of things. But uh, I, you know, I discovered two of my favorite bands ever, I think that way, either that or through 120 Minutes, um, mm. which were Hum, which is my absolute favorite band, um, which influence, still is very, even though I don't write songs anymore or anything like that, like still incredibly important for me. Um, in various ways. And Sunny Day Real Estate would be the other one that was like, I remember being, you know, it was like 1995. And, uh, you know, everything was like grunge. It was like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and all that stuff. And, and that was great. And then I remember hearing Sunny Day Real Estate and, and getting the information that they were also from Seattle, which at the time was really bizarre. Like didn't make any sense because again, what do I know? I'm 15 and I live in New Jersey, you know, but like uh, this sounded nothing like anything that had anything to do with the word Seattle in my, in my world, you know, and that really changed a lot. Um, it was really nice. Uh, 
don't know if you saw, but Jeremy Enoch posted some videos of him playing some like old Sunny Day songs acoustically. No, I'd love oh, to see God. that though. They're amazing. There's a version of Red Elephant that, uh, um, do you know the composer Sarah Hennies? Uh, no. Wait, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know her music. I think we're friends on Twitter though. Sarah is one of the greatest, comp- I mean, she's just a fucking genius and just a wonderful person, lives up in Ithaca and stuff. And like, we had like a huge just love fest when over that recording, uh, us and, and John Kologi, who plays as a high orid, who I also really love. We just were like, oh man, we're old and we love this, <laughs> you know, um, it was great. So those were things that like I, you know, kind of just through the radio and stuff. And then, you know, my other, my other actually probably favorite bands after Hum is the Butthole Surfers. Um, and like, I, I was, you know, I think because I was so, I grew up so much with like 60s music with like Hendrix and things like that, which. I gravitated towards the weird parts of that, like the, the psychedelic parts and, and so on, and all the noise and everything. And yeah, the freakouts. Oh my God. Like, you know, I still think that like, you know, Hendrix's performance of Woodstock is like a radical piece of political art. If you kind of really understand the context of what he's doing and so on. And I, I you know, it's still so important. And so like something about that translated really well to getting into like Paul Leary, who's the guitarist from the Butthole Surfers, who I, have said is actually like the biggest influence on my guitar playing like period um which i i've never met anybody else who would say that but you know um <clears throat> so anyway it was just like really in all that stuff and then i went to college and uh, you know i like punk and everything and i like hardcore because that was also just sort of around and that was but that was the scene right so in new brunswick and new jersey in 1998 99 like the the sort of I don't know how people periodize emo now, so I'm just gonna say the emo that existed at the time and hard. Like Lifetime. Oh, oh yeah, Lifetime was was around. You know, Ari was he was around. He was a little older than us, but um, you know, um, would would that be like saves the day too? Like, yeah, I went to college with them. Okay, wow. Yeah, and I mean, the one guy, fuck, I can't remember. I'm just having a hard time remembering people's names, but the the one guitarist, the original guitarist, he was like, he was like we had religious studies classes together in college and stuff. And like, um, there were other bands that were really great and the scene was super, super strong. Um, probably, you know, uh, I would say for me, and I think for a lot of people, the most important band was a band called you and I, um, I haven't heard of them. Yeah. They were legendary. I mean, they were, you know, um, and it's still, and I like the, yeah. Okay. Um, they're gonna, um, actually I, I, I got to get on this. They're re-releasing their discography on vinyl. I think, um, I think, I can't remember who's doing it. Um, but, but that band was, um, still friends with Justin, who is the singer. Um, and, uh, they were, that was actually really interesting. So let me back up a little bit. I'm giving like a, a lot of Jersey history right now. So Please. So, um, I grew up, I, up until I was like, 14 in a town called Jackson, New Jersey, which is the only way people know what it is. It's where Six Flags is. Um, and then we moved to this other town, which was way deeper into the woods called Tuckerton because my mom's a teacher there. Um, but there was this guy, Justin, who, uh, and this other guy, Tom, Justin Hawk and Dom Schlatter, and they had a band called uh, Instill. Um, and they were awesome. And they were like, a little older than us. I mean, and I'm still friends with Justin. Uh, my cousin, who is my best friend, Mike Nicosia, who I will mention many times if we keep talking, he was in a band with Justin for a while, actually, just recently. 
Um, and they were like these hardcore dudes who like were super political. And we went to a couple of shows that they were on where I'd never seen anything like it. You know, I was, again, I was a teenager and you would have people where the description of the song was longer than the song. That was like the first time I ever heard that. And it was like, and it was always about something like some kind of radical politics, you know, and like this song is about, and then they would talk about some struggle that like, I never heard of before, maybe never heard of since. And then, then the song would be like three minutes, three seconds or 10 seconds or something like that. And it would be over. And it would just be that the whole night. It became kind of a, a joke in that scene. But so by the time I was in college, Instill had turned into you and I. And you and I was, again, just, they were like nothing else, you know what I mean? And they were, they were um, as far as the sort of like, they were loud as fuck, super technical, but also really raw. And um, they were, to me, uh, in terms of just really representing what the concept of emo was, especially because I still stubbornly think of it as as sort of an outgrowth of hardcore and like and I don't so like when people make a distinction about something being screamo that's actually kind of redundant to me at this I don't you know like it's like no that's the actual thing you know yeah that's how it was and then this other stuff happened which is cool too but like it's a weird it's like a weird uh, retcon you know <clears throat> so anyway they were amazing and they would play all the time and they would like you know go I mean they were all fucking unreal so um like the last you and I show was at, it was in the fall of, I think in the fall of 99. And it was at 331 Somerset Street in New Brunswick, which was the home of um, Jeff, Jeff Rickley, who was the singer of a band that was pretty new at the time called Thursday. Thursday, yeah. Yeah, I, I knew that his, like, his basement shows were like pretty legendary. Yeah, it was at the first Thursday show, actually. Oh, wow. Like a freshman in college. Yeah, yeah, it was a wild night. I was thinking about this. It was uh, Thursday, and there was a really good band called The Low End Theory, which we gave a lot of respect to because they were like an emo band that were named themselves after a hip-hop. Yeah, band. I was like, oh, I know that name. I was like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, wait, no, wait. <laughs> no, they were a very good band. Yeah. And I want to say um, this band called Unsound, or un I can't remember, or Unsane, I don't know one of those two bands i know one of those was actually a more famous band yeah unsane's like a aren't they, are they from chicago they're like a noise okay. rock band so they were yeah. called unsound yeah and they okay. were really really good and we played my other band called estella played with them a lot later but um yeah so the last you and i show and tom schleider lived at that same house and and it was you know it was a, it was a it was a place for sure and uh it was insane i mean they played for like two hours in this crowded basement they played everything they ever wrote um people came from like Montreal and Chicago and Florida to go to this show. And people were just getting on the mic and telling their like important you and I stories about how like, you know, I met my wife or something, you know, like at a you and I, all this kind of stuff. Um, so <clears throat> they were, they were great, you know? Um, and then, then a bunch of bands came out of that. So uh, one was called the assistant. Oh yeah. I know the assistant. Yeah. So the assistant was Tom, Tom's band with, his then wife, Lee, who was awesome, like a total icon uh, and a really important person in the scene. Um, they created the assistant after that. Um, and that was, again, that, and that band really was just more explicitly political, you know, like really just straight up. Um, I know that band because <laughs> Jeff Rickley shouted them out on like a MTV, like he was on MTV, like, what should we be listening to? It was like, the assistant. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. 
Good for you, Jeff. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, so, uh, and, then, and then another band that came out of that, Casey, the other guitarist who I loved, um, had a band called Hot Cross. Oh that my God. Cool. Yeah. Love so Hot Cross. This Hell is yeah. all the legacy of you and I. Um, okay. And there were a couple of other really great things that came out of that too, but, but the assistant and Hot Cross were the sort of like the next generation of the stuff for those bands. So like I, I, after I was in college, I moved to Philly. It was like, you could just in that area and that zone, you could kind of date people by whether they were like you and I, or whether they were hot cross, you know, with, you know, that was what part of their life was, but I have a spoon. Sorry. Uh, you're <laughs> I'm drinking tea. Um, so, um, yeah, I just like went to college and, and uh, you know, I liked music and my roommate. The other funny thing about this was that ska was also very big in that scene. Oh. So all of these genres were happening at the same time. Would they play there shows was, together? There'd be yeah, like, a, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There'd be like a hardcore fucking serious hardcore band, like an emo band, a, a ska band, a punk band, like all this stuff at one show. And it was cool, you know, I mean, it was fine. <clears throat> um, and like some, obviously there's a lot of crossover between different people. So we would, you know, we'd go to these basement shows and they were great. And, and I was always really um, impressed by how very political that scene was at the time, which was interesting to me later because that kind of dropped off. And there was a lot of like, <clears throat> you know, people were straight edge, but I took that to be kind of positive at the time, you know, and I, I kind of felt like I understood where they were coming from with that. Obviously there's a lot of aggression and things like that too, but people were also very, very concerned with justice and, and issues around like justice and representation as best they could be. I mean, obviously there are a lot of problems with not just this music, but music in general in terms of race, gender, and so on. Um, but I, I did, I was impressed, especially for being like 18 with at least people were kind of being vocal about some of these questions where I didn't expect that, you know? Um, and then like, you know, a few years later, it just, there's sort of like, <clears throat> I don't know what you call like the, uh, the guard changed and it became more about partying and drinking and stuff. But, you know, at, at, for a certain moment, there was a really powerful um, sort of political impulse there that I, I'd always associated with that music actually. So, and then the assistant, especially, they would always like talk about a lot of stuff. Like Lee, especially would talk a great deal, but you know. Yeah, we talked online before this about, um, you know, my real exposure to any sort of like actual defined leftist politics was through the liner notes of the Boys That's Fire, like major oh, label. So much. <laughs> yeah, no, so I think it was on yeah. Victor, yeah. Um, it, it, yeah. And I think what like, um, what really drew me to that is before I just, I'd felt like in the punk that I'd listened to, <sighs> there was sort of this like unnamed nihilism, right? It's just like, yeah every like the world's like you know falling apart and the world's bad and um you know we're, we're expressing that through this music but there was never a call to action right there was never this yeah. and this is this is an, an outlet in which you can you know get involved yeah. with these organizations that are doing like that are addressing the causes that you feel some intense emotions about yeah no i, I think that's right and and you know i think there's a place for um for uh, cathartic expressions of, of sort of anguish and despair. You know, I think that that's important. Um, but at the end of the day, that has to be in the service of some kind of action, you know? And there's a lot of people, I think now there are people who want to just dwell on the despair and stuff and, and claim that that's like a politics, but it can't be, you know, it just can't be. Um, it's interesting, obviously, I, I don't know you know, I know a little bit about 
what teenagers are thinking through my students, but I, I am really curious, you know, how this stuff is playing out currently, you know. It's also interesting that you mentioned Boy Sets Fire too, because they were also always a very explicitly political band, you know, and, and they would talk about things that chosen and stuff, you know. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's really, oh, did I? Oh, I think you froze up. Yeah. Okay. Am, are we good now? Oh, there we're back. Okay, cool. <laughs> Sorry. I was looking at you and you were looking really intensely and I was like. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think one, one thing that's really interesting is, um, you, you know, working with, uh, so I'm a social worker. I have this kind of macro level job, but then I also do therapy like yeah. on the side. Oh, cool. And so I, I work with a lot of adolescents um, and the thing that like I think that sort of that like intense expression of emotion has shifted over to hip-hop 100 percent um yeah yeah with like artists like Little Peep and like uh you know Triple X and um uh Trippy Red and like all these um Scar Lord and like all these artists that are pulling from like all of these really like you know they sample like Bane songs and they sample like uh you know like metalcore songs and stuff like that 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 sort of unnamed um just like nihilism that un unnamed cathartic release of emotion is definitely shifted over but it's this it's shifted over in this really kind of true like truly nihilistic like almost like self-destructive um like mode where the self I think is seen as like this like unknowable thing it's just like listen I can't figure myself out I can't figure you out like all I've got is just this opportunity to like scream into the void and it's I'm not I'm not criticizing because I think that is that's a very real thing it's coming from a very real place I think things have shifted that much right I think things have like the, the the just the landscape of of what it's like to be an adolescent and 2020 has shifted that much where it's just like yeah like maybe this is like anything else just seems kind of futile but this is what we have yeah and well i find that very interesting because my uh you know my feeling when i was younger and i was and i've said this to people before was i liked hip-hop for the same reasons i liked hardcore because there was this cathartic release to it like um and the like the and it came in different ways. It came through beats and sort of like, you know, verbal virtuosity versus like volume, you know, and speed and things like that. Yeah. But that was like, you know, like my own kind of personal cathartic phenomenological experience of those genres. I was like, oh, okay, these things feel very parallel to me. I think they also always felt parallel, maybe more so hip hop and punk to me because they both represent that but also through like a way of economizing quite a bit yeah you know? right so uh, you know i love very early hip-hop and and it's very you know there's so much great stuff it's hard to keep up with everything but but the idea of just simply needing the most minimal equipment right I, I recognize that immediately at least maybe this isn't true but that's what i saw like as right a you've got an, you've got an 808 and you've got a <laughs> guitar and a shitty amp and yeah exactly your band yeah. right yeah exactly yeah. that's all you need or a turntable or something you know and and that always made a lot of sense to me yeah. especially given like the sort of <clears throat> class inflection and, and sort of issues around again justice and representation but it was also very political yeah absolutely i, I mean, mean like 
yeah i mean like like 80s and 90s hip-hop was explicitly political yeah yeah and again like it's interesting to see like you were saying where stuff will go if because there's a really important place for screaming into the void, right? Oh, yeah. Um, it, but it, the question is, does it end there or does it get you somewhere? You know what I mean? Because um, it's just got to be, you have to do it. Sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I don't know if it's, you know, I, I think there's so many variables to that. Um, I think what you're exposed to early on, mm-hmm. what sort of path you choose. Because, I mean, you could you could just scream into the void and not, you know, not read the boy sets fire liner notes and get inspired to be, you know, whatever. Uh, Because so many of the kids who went to, I went to high school with like who were on the football team love that record. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know? And, and and so like, I was like, wow, you know, like what, what, what was different that like, why weren't they like uh, out there fighting the cops instead of like you know, becoming <laughs> the cops. yeah like yeah it's become, absolutely very yeah. literally becoming the cops yeah. like what what was the difference um and and it's not and like yeah. and i'm not holding myself up or anything but like i came from a very very conservative you know very religious background um where i, I in, in some ways i think my religious background like I, w- I, I became attracted to some of those ideals because I saw like the truest distillation of like what I believed for, as like a religious moral framework yeah. existing in, in punk and existing in hardcore and existing in those causes that those, you know, bands, um, you know, give a, give a spotlight to, but I don't know. Yeah. There's just yeah, so many I, variables. I don't know either. I think about this a lot because I, you know, so again, uh, like when I got into the hardcore scene, um, I mean, I'm so far away from this stuff now. I mean, I, I make noise music sometimes and, and I do like guitar stuff and I, I play, I mean, I, I do think that there's a connection there between the kind of cathartic loudness and so on. But, um, but um, I remember um, a lot of people who were really political and were like very serious activists and probably still are. And I, and I think I mentioned this when we talked earlier, like, on, uh, on Facebook, like, um, you know, I knew a lot of people who were in that scene who, who took those politics very seriously and they became social workers and therapists and EMTs and things yeah. like that and worked in ambulances and donated and like really, really tried to really live that stuff. And I, and I still really value that and respect it a lot. And this is why when people um, are sort of cynical about some of that music, I'm like, I don't think you saw what I saw, you know what I mean? And, and again, here's, a, here's an example of exactly what you were talking about that people talk about a lot, um, just like Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, people are like, oh, Paul Ryan likes Rage Against the Machine, like, fuck. And then the conclusion is like, fuck that band. And it's like, uh, fuck Paul Ryan, you know? Right. Like, and and I'm, I'm not a religious person, but I, I do officially know a shitload about religion now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, uh, officially. And if Paul Ryan could read the Bible and not draw the same conclusions from it as like Martin Luther King Jr. did, you know, then Rage Against the Machine wasn't going to do anything for him. You know what I mean? And so it's not really on that band. And I like, I see, I knew a lot of people who became politicized because of them, you know, and um, actually still have the, uh, um, I have the Inside Out seven inch record. Love Inside Out. Yeah. (laughs) Love Revelation (laughs) records. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, me too. Oh my God. I loved her. That was like a label that I, I hope there's a revival of, you know, 
Yeah. Um, and I, I got um, fuck, one of my favorite albums of all time on vinyl through a friend who was a few years ago working at a distro who was in touch with one of the guys at, at Revelation still, uh, Scott Vadim. And he sent me a copy. I, I just like, can you, they're like, do you want anything? And I was like, yeah. Can you please get me a copy of Sensefield's Kill for the Last on Fire? Oh my God. Like one of my favorite albums of all time. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. And so anyway, but sorry, I wanted two points about that. One okay. is that like, I knew a lot of people who were fucking politicized by Rage Against the yeah. Machine. And, and then went on to do lots of cool stuff. So yeah. like when people go on, they're like, Rage Against the Machine, they're, you know, posers, their activism is fake, like whatever. It's like, I don't think that's on that band. There's, there's right. like, if you think that the music has this direct, it's not a, you're not like a, a, a bowling pin that gets knocked over and you have to do something. There's so much responsibility there and it's on you in so many ways to just sort of like take what you're given and, and really think seriously about it. And you can't blame them if Paul Ryan didn't do that because I know people who got, you know, uh, locked up for protesting and, and, you know, all kinds of things. And we're like, yeah, I'm here because I saw, I listened to that song Freedom or something. You mm -hmm. know? So like, you know, whatever. Um, the other thing is, um, one of my favorite moments in my life, I, this is totally unrelated, but I, my band, which was called Estella, you know, in the early 2000s, I left that band in like 2004, but this was with some of my best friends. We, we got to play with Sensefield the week of September 11th. Whoa. It was really wild. Yeah. And, and I think one of the, which is a very strange thing to think about right now, given the whole COVID situation, because a lot of my students are basically my, the age I was when September 11th happened. And so I'm curious about comparing notes at some point, you know, yeah. um, with them. But yeah, it was like the, and it was, we were in New Jersey. So, I mean, there's a lot of people who were affected and my dad is, an, uh, my dad's an ER nurse. And so he was, he was quite busy. He was helping and stuff. And, um, we played with, and they, I think the drummer, something happened to someone in his family, so he wasn't there. So they played this acoustic set and they played like an acoustic version of Heather, which mm. is like, oh my God, it was amazing. It was, it was really intense. It was a really, really crazy moment. Um, but anyway, yeah. So how did you then make this transition from um, playing like more kind of rock-based music to what you're doing now, which is a lot more experimental and more noise-based? Um, well, I always like things that are weird, you know, like it was kind of my, my motto was like, I like anything weird. Mm -hmm. you know? I think that was, and again, I think that actually goes back to like the sixties and seventies, the stuff that I like listened to on vinyl that my mom had and like, um, Hendrix is huge there, you know, um, and all the noise stuff that was going on, the tape loops and things like that. And I started seeking that out. And then again, then I discovered like the butthole surfers and I, went super into that and 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 people you know they had some like pop songs but even their pop songs were very bizarre yeah. and i ended up you know learning a lot of paul leary parts because he was just such a wacko and uh i still there's still like if i play guitar there are these little riffs that totally come from paul leary of the butthole surfers that i still do they're just like ingrained in my muscle memory now um and and i think part of that then um you know evolved a little bit because so there was like these parallel tracks where a lot of the more song-based stuff that I always really liked and we would play still had an inflection of some of these experimental influences. And, and so you have, um, one of my favorite things ever is uh, the band Hum, obviously, total, total favorites. Um, the, uh, the song, The Pod, 
on You'd Prefer an Astronaut has a feedback solo. And my cousin Mike and I were obsessed with this. I mean, we were like, how did he do that? You know, and so we like, we went and got this really specific boss pedal that Matt Talbot used on that solo and stuff. And so like that impulse was always there. And I also just, just because of the 60 stuff, I was always interested in improvisation, you know? So I always tried to bring improvisation stuff into this more song type shit that we were doing. And it, you know, sometimes it really worked, but you know, whatever. And then, uh, after college, you know, just being in college, kind of just like learning about all kinds of things, like encountering minimalism, getting more interested in, in you know, I was always interested in jazz again, just from studying guitar and things like that um, when I was younger. And so kind of meeting new people who had that, that more of that background and everything and just to try to be absorbent and being very like archival, you know? So if I like learned about something I liked, I'd try, okay, what are all the other things that this artist or musician or whoever also likes? and you know, encountering minimalism, I think I said that already, Steve Reich and stuff, like just kind of all came together. And after I, um, after I uh, left New Brunswick, I moved to Philadelphia where I encountered a lot more sort of radical improvisers and stuff. And this was around, well, I took a break and I did some traveling and stuff, but I, around 2006, I was living in Philly and um, I met some people who I'm still very close with, uh, Guitarist Nick Novoy is one of my favorite guitarists alive, literal best. Um, and his really good friend, a trombonist named Dan Blacksburg, who is also one of the best musicians I've ever met. And then around that time, there was an experiment, you know, we had these other friends and um, just kind of in the scene of people doing music there. And I think I just, in terms of my own listening habits, I've gotten into more experimental things just on a daily basis. And then uh, there's a guy there, Dustin, who started a series called Bowerbird, who that still exists, I believe. And, um, you know, they started doing events and it was just like house shows and stuff. And then eventually it got bigger. And it was like way weirder stuff than I had ever encountered before. It was um, people who were like older free jazz players, like, um, like Jack Wright, the sax player, um, and people like that. But then it was the first time I encountered what's called new music um, or like contemporary classical like experimental classical music and again I'm like this was yeah like 2005 2006 I was like 20 25 26 and I always liked weird things but then this was like wow this is another whole world of things I'd never even encountered before and so then I just started digging into that and learning about people like Pauline Oliveros and like all these things but that was like that time was very important and then uh, I moved to Chicago in 2008 to start graduate school so I was in grad school for a very long time um, yeah and uh and when i got here um a lot of, i did not expect to for this to take this long <laughs> but um you know then just through philly friends i got in, in touch with people here um and just sort of like ended up learning about shows and going to things and kind of like really trying to be very, very uh, encyclopedic in, in encountering things here. Um, Chicago is very different from Philadelphia. I mean, when I first moved here, my big revelation was like, oh, it's like bigger than Philly, but smaller than New York, huh, <laughs> you know? But there are a lot of scenes here and there's a very strong new music scene. It's a really strong, obviously very strong history of free music, improvised music, um, um, creative music and then obviously there's the whole 
my, I mean, my band had played punk shows here and hardcore shows here back in the day, but I, I had, you know, I didn't know anything about some of this other stuff. And then there's the noise seed and there were different people doing different things. And, you know, I just started going to as much stuff as I could. A lot of it just by myself and making friends and things like that and kind of snowballed from there. And I, I kind of always, it was like actually very freeing for me because even though I really liked improvised things and I really liked weird things, I felt, I always felt like I was like, no, you got to write songs. I mean, people want to hear songs, you know? And then I think moving to Chicago was like, oh, good, fuck that. <laughs> you know, I can, I can just improvise or create these structured improvisations and really do things with noises and sort of ambience and all this other stuff that I didn't feel like, like I had realized there was an audience for in Philly, but kind of finally felt like comfortable doing myself and like transitioning to almost explicitly doing stuff like that um, around that time. So before we were talking about your kind of um, your interest in science fiction that is sort of so is beyond our reality and, and imagines in some ways kind of a either a positive future or a future that is kind of beyond our understanding um, what 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 is your interest or what draws you to those stories um, I'm really so this actually this is a this is a this is an interesting question and it's a little bit uh, hard to articulate, but I'm very interested in, the, and this is kind of, I think a, a, something that I, I don't know how well you can work this out doing like experimental music, but um, in some of my academic work uh, for sure, like um, I'm interested in the kinds of limitations that are put on our imagination um, and, and what we're um, sort of, I'm not capable of thinking at a given moment, but something like that, like what kind of boundaries are we dealing with in terms of what, what we can think, um, what we can imagine and so on. And like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think those things are like determined in that we have, we can't escape from them or something like, but that it's, it's a lot of hard work to kind of challenge what we're able to like, like the ability to imagine something new is actually very, very, um, it's not just like a gift you have or something. It's something that like is a kind of political exercise and it's like something that um, it, it takes work to be able to do, you know? So um, I think that's, I think that's important like politically and morally and stuff. And so I, I'm interested in forms of art or, you know, thought that, that deal with that. Um, you know, um, does that make sense? Yeah, to totally. Yeah. I'm wondering how that translates into experimental music. Like what for you, when you were approached, like you were talking about earlier, when you kind of moved to Chicago and you were kind of, ex you had experienced new music. What about kind of experimental music, this whatever broad brush that we paint um, did that for you where you're kind of able to imagine new things and new worlds, new sounds? Yeah, I th yeah, I think that's like a real. I think that's like a, con a like a important thread in in any kind of experimental art and music for sure. And one of the places that it becomes really apparent is when you or someone you know, or you're just encountering someone who has never heard something like that before. And there's this like moment. There's like this moment where that person like makes a choice, you know? Yes. To like to like okay, like what the fuck do I do with this? The choice. Uh, I never thought about it like that. Like, it is. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what, Like you choose to either try and figure it out, you know, or figure out where is your way in? Like, what can I do to start to like this? Or, or 
understand why it even exists, you know, <laughs> let alone get something from it. Or you can choose to be like, fuck this, it's stupid, you know, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, usually the 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 yes is a very subtle type of yes, and the no is usually pretty dumb. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and the, use, the, the no is usually a lot more like extreme and severe. One of my favorite things is watching people sort of be blindsided by improvisation or bl- yeah. blindsided by experimental music. Yeah. Um, there was this bar that was um, down the street from where we are, which um, in Cincinnati, if anybody's from Cincinnati, they would know R- Rake's End, which is, uh, it was this like, dive bar um but you could go to a noise show at like on tuesday at like 2 a.m and have there there'd be like you know 10 or 15 people who all sort of knew each other and were all kind of like denizens of, of that place but every so once in a while you'd have this you know you'd have people kind of wander in and just be like what like just minds being like <laughs> like i remember this like like this 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 girl like this college age girl like go up to like everybody like during like a noise set and be like, what is this? Why is this happening? Why do yes. you like this? Yes. And, it, and it felt like so sincere. It wasn't, awesome. it wasn't like this like accusatory, like, yeah. like, why is it like, why is he making this noise? It was just like, I am like desperately trying to understand this right now. And it's like overwhelming. They don't even it know is. where to start. Yeah. You know, you just have to like go to everybody. Yeah. I, one time I, uh, I played a show in Cleveland a couple of years ago. This is the best. Um, people say crazy, you know, people say weird things to you at shows. Uh, and it was like, it was, um, oh, where was it? It wasn't at Mahal's. It was the other bowling alley in Cleveland. Um, and uh, <laughs> it was like a weird night. There weren't that many people there. And it was like, I think there was like a basketball game on. So there was some kind of like local regulars. And like, I played my set and this guy comes up to me afterwards and he goes, you make music for people who understand, but I don't Whoa. understand. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Just like, yeah. Like I get that like this is this is a thing that happens that people like. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not I'm not there. <laughs> I'm not one of them. Yeah. I, I really respect that. That was like one encounter where someone just kind of just presented a denial that I was like, okay, man, yeah, that makes sense, you know. Because a lot of times um, you'll see this stuff happen and you'll have somebody be very, you know, it's always like, usually when people like reject something new, there's like some kind of weird, like performative masculinity bullshit going on with it mm-hmm. too. You're like, what is this bullshit? Like, fuck yeah. this, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, I remember uh, this, when I lived in Philadelphia a long time ago, like I said before, and I was at a show with my friend, Jesse Cutler, uh, who's a great, great person. Um, playing something at uh i think it was the marvelous which was a comic shop there uh, i don't know if it still exists and there was like he was on this bill and he he was doing he does some very very minimal like blowing in a tube kind of like you know uh, very subtle percussion stuff and there was some like kind of straight up rock band that was supposed to play after him and and the and the a friend of one of the people in the other band i'll just never forget this was so like so offended by by jesse's set and was just like we're gonna we're you guys are gonna show this guy what real music is you know <laughs> and stuff and just it was like it turned into a <laughs> you know a boxing match in his head or something you know it's like you already won like in that in that instance like cool like you cool, you, yeah. you won <laughs> 
but there's like this amazing moment and it's like a very difficult moment when someone like you said like makes a choice to try and engage this because i think when that happens that person also knows that they're kind of signing up for some work you know like they're they're signing up to like challenge their own sort of aesthetic preconceptions and other preconceptions just about like what's possible and what's enjoyable and like how to think about how sounds go together and um, maybe other kinds of relationships and things like that and i think um you know i i i in improvised music especially um you know i think that there's a real profound exercise of communication and, and even empathy that happens when people improvise together and i feel like i've seen in certain cases someone who's new to that being able to recognize that and saying like wait they didn't write this how are they doing this together how can these people be like communicating so well without speaking and so on and i think that is one of the places where things sort of where it takes on a, an ethical or a political shade too you know where you can be like oh oh th these people are interacting in a way that's really kind of liberatory you know or something like that or really challenging yeah. that's something you can recognize you know um and you know and that might be a way people and, and i'm very interested in like like where does somebody get in you know like how what's their in and i i feel like for a lot of people that can be something sort of simple like um people a lot of people just respect virtuosity for example and so if you see somebody like play really well and even if it's weird you're like well i i can recognize that they're very good at what they're doing so right. that must mean something you know um that's maybe um i mean i've seen this with like so i, I have I, I taught a course on improvisation um at the art institute here a couple of times and we'll eventually get to free improvisation and there are these really great uh, videos of cecil taylor um just doing these free improvisations on the piano and you can find them on YouTube. It's just like improvisation number four or whatever. And he's wearing like a sparkly sweatshirt and a, and a, and a beanie. And he's just kind of going nuts on the piano. And it's this real like, they're like 10 minute pieces. So like kind of watching the people, students who have never heard this before, um, like get, get their, the, you just like watching their faces. You know what I mean? As, as they kind of work through it and, and then having them kind of recount their experience of it afterwards and like well first i thought it was all just noise and then i you know somebody would be like well i did study the piano and i know that he was doing this really well or like i liked his sweatshirt or something you know like <laughs> like all i've gotten all these responses and so i figured if he was wearing a sparkly gray sweatshirt he must be cool so i should pay attention. <laughs> you know it's just across the board but like this that experience like that really specific moment like where you try and find your way in is just really different for different people and it's it's fascinating and cool and beautiful and stuff well and i think even like i liked his sweatshirt is a very valid in because if your friends are like who you think are cool are all of a sudden like experimenting and doing all this like weird music and and you just happen to be there you know you can make that choice you can yeah. you know be there with them and and or you can uh you know gravitate to another scene that might yeah. be a little bit more up your alley yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. and i think there's i love i love what you said about there being empathy before between performers um because i mean that cuts through so many you know divisions um, when people are, are making sounds because they're neat sounds. Um, yeah. and I, and I, and I think we, we lose that so much as, as kid, you know, growing up as kids, we're taught that sounds need to exist in like these meters and in these, you know, 
passed down, you know, modes and modalities in order to be like considered music. Right. And uh, and I, I think that's the great thing about improvisation is that it can kind of cut through all of that, right? Um, and so people I do agree. respect virtuosity, but if somebody could like just come up with like a neat tone and just like kind of jam on just like a coming up with like a neat approach to sound that doesn't need any sort of like any of that trappings of you know professional music like musicality and i think there's a lot of empathy as well with the audience you know mm -hmm. the audience Absolutely. kind of like wading through some things that might not be working for for a minute with the yeah. expectation that like i'm gonna like i'm gonna go there with these people like i'm gonna yeah. i'm gonna wait this out um this this part not might not be like not everybody's like jiving together but like yeah i know that they'll they, they may get there if not maybe another night you know right right yeah like we're all in this together and and that's the interesting thing too about the way that say at least improvised music is often performed which is that it's performed a lot you know like um in chicago um you know i'm involved with a space called elastic arts which has now been around for 20 years and i've been involved since like 2013 and um you know there it, it mostly has been a place for jazz and free improvisation and creative music um and like, it's just, it's like a lot of regulars, you know? And, and I mean, like people just playing with each other constantly. And like, you're, so you're, you know, I think that's like an important part. And there are other places that do this and they're, you know, uh, in this city, especially, but, you know, there's at least a critical mass here where, of people interested in doing that, where they're playing together constantly and bringing new people in. But that, that dialogue is getting worked out over not just one show, but many shows. And a lot of the audience members come back to kind of be part of like what's, how are these people going to interact again this time, you know? Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I've seen some just absolutely, uh, like I wouldn't trade for anything. Mm -hmm. it, just being in the audience, like when, uh, like improvisation just kind of like reaches this like mind meld peak of just like yeah. being on fire. People are like on the edge of their seats. It's like so thrilling in this way that I, I mean, I, I can't even compare to anything else, you know? And I think that like we were talking about before, we are, we are taught that certain things are, are, you know, quote unquote natural, but a lot of the things that we think of as being natural are just things that we've been taught. And they're, they're in the, you know, they're in the, the collective consciousness. Um, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean that they have to be, you know, um, and some of those things can be good or bad on their own merits, but just because they are what we have, we, we often, a lot of, there's a lot of language, the language of like nature and like all this other stuff gets used to talk about music a lot. Um, and it's, you know, I, I, people, I don't know, I, I reject that because I think it's, it's reactionary, you know, um, here's uh, the, 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 you know, the tone of the universe or something like that. Like what? First of all, it's not even true. There's no such thing. Right. But also, like, you're you're placing, you're using this this idea of what's natural as like a to put a full stop, you know, set of parameters around something and say this is what's right, you know, because that that's what that's code for. Like, this is what's right, and something that's not doing this is somehow unnatural or wrong or something like that. And like, you know, and so we get handed these things and we just sort of accept them. Like, oh, music exists in songs, you know, and there's a person has to sing or pick something you know there's or it exists in the orchestra you know and it has to be composed music is notated um these assumptions are just 
about what the definition say of music is, but they're, they're historical and somebody made them and somebody taught them to somebody else. And, you know, they can be undone and challenged and stuff. And I, again, just to go back to like Le Guin, when she says the, you know, the logic of capitalism or whatever seems inescapable, it's that sort of thing, right? It's like, this is what you've been taught to think is natural or like, this is just how it is. And you can engage in art practices and other kinds of struggle that, that like, actively undo that and you may not know what you'll find on the other side you know like when you undo something you don't know what's going to get like but you might free up a little space to to do something or create something new and that can be a very good thing i'm wondering now with like this this idea that with especially improvised and experimental music um it being an inherently non-commercial non in some in some instances, like a non-commercial, non-capitalist venture, um, the importance of the structures that we've set up in order to get it out, right? Um, so, like yeah. re, you know, record label, like I, you know, Astral Spirits is is a, gr a great example, right? Yeah, uh, a record label that is is focused almost solely on like improvised uh, music. Uh, really pushing collaborations between people um, where if it wasn't for that label as an inherently like capitalist, like driving force that is getting it out into the market, mm -hmm. like that wouldn't exist or it, it wouldn't find an audience the way that recorded yeah. music does. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. Like capitalism is full of contradictions. <laughs> A really smart guy once said that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, no, it's, it's tough. Right. And this is like a, this is a huge question. Right. And there's a lot of, um, you know, like um, people make people, uh, very few people are making much money off of experimental music. You know what I mean? And as like, a, it, as somebody who runs a label, I can yeah. tell you that is very true. <laughs> yeah. And your label is great. It's got so much good stuff on it, you know, and I've, I bought four things from you on Bandcamp today. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, um, I've listened to them a lot. Like you know, and and it would be it would be amazing if if people could could make money doing this. I mean, it would be amazing if we lived in like a some kind of future where we didn't have any money, but we're not there. So let's yeah. talk about how you know we do live. But yeah, like um, you know, wait. So wait, what was the question actually? Because so this, I, I don't know if there was, was so much. Yeah. To so. Say uh, about this. Because I'm thinking a lot about the way that you know we're we're living right now, right? Yeah. With the coronavirus, yeah, just really challenging these perceptions that we had of um, how money just operates in our life, right? Um, if we, in some ways, we it feels like we're kind of living in suspended animation right now, yeah. where like we're like, okay, like I don't have to pay my rent this week, this month possibly um whoa uh like i can like i can get uh you know i could get food from these other means that doesn't necess necessitate me like going to the store or like like huh like how does this work and so i think we're figuring this out and also with um you know with like these quarantine concerts you know like these folks who are essentially giving the this these performances away for free um or or you know through a like a pay what you can pay what you want donation base um i i'm really wondering how this is going to play out in terms of 
are um, just the way that music is going to be made. Um, I mean, we're already sliding headlong into, you know, um, records and, and physical media being kind of a very niche thing. Um, that yeah and so i'm not sure where there's a question there but it, it's we're in, in an interesting experiment right now where we're kind of like in some ways kind of putting on hold these um you know like pu putting on hold like these things that we thought were like givens right mm -hmm. oh i need to pay my rent every month right yeah yeah i mean i have no idea <laughs> like, and i i mean i think that i honestly do think that like this situation will cause some things to change and it will cause some other things not to change. Mm -hmm. um, I think things will in some ways go back to quote unquote normal, probably in a bad way. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't think, I, yeah. <laughs> I think that's like the worst thing that we could think of is like, yeah, things going yeah. back to normal. And like, as you, pro as you alluded, I, so I'm one of the people who started one of these quarantine mm -hmm. series. Um, which is actually one of the shows is on right now. So I was just, oh. while, while we were talking before, uh, I was like moderating the chat. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and that's like a really weird situation because um, I was, I actually had a tour canceled for that, for the tape that came out. And I, I had posted a thing on Facebook to be like, maybe I'll do like a bunch of shows from my house or something. And then ESS is this great, great organization here in Chicago. Uh, Olivia Janelle who's one of the people there was like maybe we can like create a series or something and so me and um, uh, the ESS team and Ben Baker Billington if you know Ben yeah. is quick sales and he's great and we have trio together with Mark Shippey uh, that tape on Astral Spirits and something on No Index um, kind of just threw this series together in like a week and I, I think like it's been really interesting watching people respond to it um, because there's been some sort of negative comments that I, I I think at first kind of took really personally to be honest mm. with you because to me like like to put it kind of crudely like what the fuck do you want you know yeah like, we, the, all of these people are, are losing money and so the best we can do this was the best we could do I, this is like the the smartest group of people I could possibly be working with on this you know what I mean and an extremely experienced group of people so we like brainstormed and bust our asses for a week to be like, how can we get a bunch of money out there? You know? Yeah. And ESS is a nonprofit and so is Elastic. So that's the, the, the way dealing with music and art through the nonprofit system is very different than say um, like, um, you know, a major record label or Spotify or a bar, you know, um, that's, and that has its ups and downs, which are really interesting. I think the nonprofit, context is way more equipped to handle this i mean for one thing is we can get donations and stuff like that and we've started to create like yeah. a nest egg for guarantees for these shows that's great um, we've also got like there were 500 people watching the uh the corbett versus dempsey um showcase tonight i mean that has amazing members of dna and david grubbs and yeah. like other people so there's a lot but the first couple shows you know we were able to um all right, Cat was uh, oh, like, yeah, it's cool. trying to get in. Cat should come in. <laughs> yeah. I, I like the fact that cats and people's dogs and also kids are like an important part. I, that's <laughs> one really thing is. I like about all this, like like making visibility in terms of people's like you know regular spaces. Like you can see my bedroom right now. I have yeah, back there I have a bear <laughs> that's I've had in my room for years. But anyway, you know it's like um, it, it what was I going to say? But we made we raised a shitload of money. So it's far. amazing. Yeah, and like we're gonna do some number stuff, and we were talking to 
uh, Joshua Kim, who you may know is a great person and great music journalist um, about sort of what we've been doing um, and get some more kind of information out there um, about it. But like, I don't think that there, a lot of people really love this and it's great. And it's great for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is people who don't live in a place like I, I live in Chicago. It's like the fourth largest city in the country or something, you know, I can go to a show literally every night. And I often do. Um, a lot of people can't do that and they would like to, you know, and that's uh, a lot of people are homebound for other reasons through disability and things like that. And so like, those are very important reasons for doing this stuff. Um, the other hand, I don't think any of us would rather be like sitting in a chat with each other than we would actually hanging out and having drinks and like actually catching up in person. Like this is fun. It's, it's nice to see my friends play on from my room, but I would really rather be at Elastic or ESS or any other place right now. You know, um, I'm at my house all day. It's driving me crazy, you know? So, um, and like, you know, but, but it's, it's been cool. Like a lot of people like have said, like, I'm so happy for this because I'm starting to go a little stir crazy or I've like cabin fever in my house and I want to, and, and they'll, they'll donate a bunch of money. I mean, we, we actually got a huge donation before the whole series even started, which is really helpful. So, you know, I mean, you know, I, I've seen um, other interesting and I think valid criticisms specifically of Twitch as a platform, um, which I have more complicated feelings about because I frankly, while there's a lot of toxicity in the world of video games, um, I don't know how that's actually very different from the world of music historically. I think that, <laughs> yeah, in you know, so like, you know, I think you've got to be a little careful when you're sort of moralizing like that. But I oh mean, my obviously, God. yeah, I think I think there's really great radical stuff going on in various music communities, and there's like really powerful things happening there. But it's also fucking horrible too. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, be being um, a part of any DIY music community comes with all of the misogyny, like all of the racism. All the racism. Yep. And I think the gamer situation, and maybe because it's so extremely online, it's a little, you get that a little bit more, like yeah. at least it's, it's done in a, in a way that's public. Yeah, you I can't mean, hide behind uh, being a, a good dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, right before we got on this conversation, I had to, like, the, th this was the first time this happened, but we've been sort of waiting for it to happen. But there was a, um, a very offensive uh, spam comment, yeah. like that was clearly made by a bot in the chat. And luckily, I mean, again, to their credit, uh, these the people who designed this platform know that that's what they're dealing with. So the the automated chat uh, sort of thing caught it and flagged it, and it didn't post. And a bunch of us are were watching and deleted it, you know, yeah, and stuff. But but you know, there's these people who are like, oh, I don't want to go on Twitch. Video games are stupid. It's like what the video games are what they are you know right. and actually they're also really helping a lot of people right now and for sure so like i i don't know what to, what to tell you we you know we ended up using twitch too because we tried youtube at first and it kept crashing oh really it, it just didn't work yeah and and again like um so alex and glazian at ess is just like one of the best engineers i've ever met in my life and like if alex couldn't get it to work then i believe that it was a real problem for sure you know <laughs> it's like so anyway, yeah, but I do hope that we all get to go to real shows again soon. Uh, me too. And, and I really just want to see people. Same. <laughs> it's like, uh, for me, I think this was a nice kind of hard reset for me. Um, as I 
definitely burned the candles at way too many ends. Um, and a lot of that is, you know, cause I just want to be there. Like, I just want to like yeah. pop in, pop out, like support my friends. Um, you know, like me getting drunk on a Tuesday night is, uh, like a, not something I'd indulge in too, too much, but like, <laughs> you know, if I could go and see my, see my friends play, be out by like 11, 12, you know, yeah. get a good night's sleep. I'm, I'm, I'm game. Um, and so I, I, I miss that immensely, but it has been a nice, like it has been a really nice substitute. Um, especially seeing like being able to see people that I would never get to see, like, cause they're not coming on tour through Cincinnati. Right. So yeah. last night I got to watch the drows, you know, set, um, out of yeah. Portland, which is, was amazing. And, awesome. um, and so I'm, I mean, I'm totally, totally here for it. Um, and I, I hope, my hope is that um, for that specific reason that you mentioned, that this becomes another sort of possibility, but not like everybody's, I think there are people who are worried like, oh no, people are only ever going to want to <laughs> yeah, right. watch or go to online shows. No and that's way. just not true. Yeah. So, but if it's something that a whole lot of people are now a lot more comfortable doing, and that allows other folks to see them perform, especially if people get a little better with the technology and the quality yeah. is better. Why can't we have both? Yeah, exactly. We yeah. can totally have both. Yeah. You know? No, I, I mean, there's so much more that goes into like going to a show than, than just the music, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, I mean, some beautiful transcendent musical moments, but you're with your friends, you know, like yeah. you're, you're in a place that you feel comfortable in. Um, yeah, it, it, it kind of demarcates your week and, you know, sometimes your month and. Um, yeah. And, and like yeah. you, you know, like we were talking earlier about just like a, I don't, I'm sure this is true for you too, but my own like early experiences going to shows ended up being like, well, this is where I see my friends and we get to do this cool thing. And there's some community building going on here and people trying to live in a different, slightly different way if that's possible. So great. Yeah. I can trace all of my most uh, like cherished relationships to meeting people at shows. Like, so and just awesome. go, mostly just going to shows alone, you know, like moving yeah. to a new city. Yeah. Like, oh, I, you know, like you have some tangential connections just from being in the, you know, experimental music scene, you know, for, for a while. And so you go and you just meet people and um, yeah, you form these really great bonds because I mean, they're and, there for the exact same reason. Yeah. And I think that one of the nice things, at least in this community, is the way that that does translate online, because there are people that I'm friends with that like, I, I text with Chess. <laughs> I don't even know what he looks like. Really? <laughs> yeah, like he could look like a cactus for all I know. I yeah. don't know what the guy looks like. Oh. But I talk to him kind of regularly now. It's because we like each other's music and that would have only been facilitated through the internet. The same thing, like, so I have a new tape coming out this month with um, on Astral Spirits, actually a second release um, with uh, two people I'm a huge, huge fan of. Uh, Patrick Shirley, sax player. And Ted Burns, the percussionist, you know those guys? Uh-uh. Oh, man, Patrick is like, he's a legend. I mean, Ted is a legend, too. Um, but Patrick is very active right now. He's a fantastic saxophone player. They're both from L.A. Um, and he just is like, he constantly releases stuff, and it's all amazing. So he just had a new LP on Thin Wrist, and we have this thing coming out, and he had uh, some beautiful stuff last year. And then, um, you know, I knew about his stuff through another mutual friend who mentioned him and then Ted I've just been a fan of his for a long time he's one of the most sort of creative and sort of 
aggressive percussionists I've ever seen. I mean, he's sort of the master of like the drum kit with objects, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and he's, he played with, uh, he did something with um, Sissy Space like a while ago. Nice. And he was on that Lingua Ignota album. Uh, and I just, you know, his Instagram feed is a fucking joy. Like if you, you know, um, <clears throat> would he tour, would he tour with Sissy Spacek? Was he like the drummer in Sissy Spacek? No, I don't, I think he just did okay. percussion stuff. I mean, Got when it. I say percussion, I mean like, right. he plays pine cones and stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like so loud. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, and I'm, I'm not, that's not a joke. Like he literally plays pine cones. <laughs> um, so I was just like a fan of those guys. And like my sister moved to LA last year and I was like, I'm going to go to LA. I'm going to hit these, these guys up and then we'll make a record. And so like, you know, that happened through the internet. And part of it was just being like seeing Ted's Instagram feed a lot, mm -hmm. being like, this fucking fools. I want to play with this person, you know? And like, it's just so like that, those relationships are facilitated and they're, and they're real, you know, um, and they produce good things. So. And then when you meet in real life, I mean, it, it, in, in some ways, you know, this has happened to me a lot, where, <clears throat> you know, met people yeah. online and then, you know, they've, they've toured through Cincinnati and it just feels like a natural extension. Yeah. Right. It was like, right. um, I, and I was interviewing, uh, Claire Rousset, um, oh, Claire. Two, two weeks ago. And she said that like, they're kind of like one night stands, you know what I mean? <laughs> and where you just like have this like oh. really intense, like emotional yeah. connection with somebody. And then like the next morning they're like, gone to the next city you know <laughs> you know and yeah and what's funny too though is that and again like i guess that I, I went on tour the first time with my old band in like 2000 or 1999 or something like that i mean i was pretty young and everything and the internet already existed so i i don't know what it was like to but there was it was still a like at that time it was still it was like message boards and stuff so you kind of knew people and then you still got to know people You're like oh these are the people we know in you know, mm -hmm. Wilkes-Barre PA now or something like that. Um, uh, I don't know, that's a really specific example, but you know, at yeah. like Columbus or something, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think this is like an extension of that. That's actually just better. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you just know more about the people. Like you can, you have these one night stands like Claire said, but you still get to talk to them online. Yeah. Or see what they're up to. So yeah. And, and <clears throat> there hasn't been very, I can't think of any experience actually where I have met some, like, you know, talked to somebody online or like, you know, friend of a friend, met somebody online, had them, because we host a lot in Cincinnati, yeah. um, had somebody come play a show, stay over at our house and it not be like a fantastic experience. I know, it's so great. It's yeah. Like, yeah. And there's <laughs> just these like, um, it's great that you guys are doing that. Like, I just, I love that. And I support that so much. Like, especially if you get to be the host, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's I love really it. Fun. It's, yeah. it's, it's wonderful. Um, yeah. It was, uh, it was, you know, it was funny. So like, yeah, when I went to, I met Patrick and Ted, Ted, Patrick set up the recording session at his friend's like basement. And like, I just showed up and Ted showed up. We never met each other before. Ted and I like went and got drinks from the gas station and then Patrick showed up and then we just played for like three hours and recorded it. And then we went and played a show and then it was like, all right, see you guys, <laughs> you know, and the it's called long day. Cause it was actually, it was a long day, you know? Um, and we like, but it was wild because, um, you know, like we just, we just hit it and we just played and it was, it was really great. And I think part of that was just like the excitement of it, you know, made it good, but also like, I think that translated into the music really working, <clears throat> but it, 
you know, there's this interesting thing that happens with improvisation where the others, the other, I don't think it's, I don't know if it's like a skill, but there's a sort of an insight into thinking like, who would I like to play with? Like who would challenge me or who, who would I, who does it make intuitive sense for me to try and do something with, you know? And in that case, these were people who were like, oh, I got to play with these two, you know, and see what happens. And they had never played with each other before they played shows together, but never like collaborated. So um, yeah, it was, it was cool to just like, okay. You know, I haven't seen those guys since last summer, like in person, yeah. them all the time, but you know, it's like, do you uh do you have anything else coming out uh that's the next thing i have coming out i have a solo record that took me five years to finish that is frankly the best thing i've ever done cool and i have been sort of sitting on that and trying to find the right home for it Mm -hmm. um it's it's uh like i'm really slow you know, so you have like Claire or Patrick who put out stuff all the time. I respect those people a lot. I can't do that. The This record has two pieces of music on it. One of them was recorded at the end of 2015. Um, and then the other one, it took me three years to finish. Wow. And I, I recorded it in a silo in Wisconsin at a art residency called Acre, which is a really awesome organization here in Chicago. And I've been a visiting artist there and I've been involved with that a bit too and they they have this summer residency that's amazing it's on a farm in wisconsin there's all this land it, it rules there's a silo when i first went there in 2016 i just spent a lot of time recording in the silo and then i kind of was cut cut the recording apart to make a composition out of it and then like i was like fuck i need more so i had to go back the next year i was like i gotta wait to go back you know and so then it just took a long time to get everything set and mixed and everything so like that is something I just, you know, the last like, so I guess there's this re-release, this, the, the Void Chip tape, but the last record I had that was like a solo record before that was in 2016 or 2015 was Our Severed Sleep. So I'm just like trying to find the exact right place to release this, you know, and figuring out how best to do that. Yeah. Um, but I'm excited for that to like, emerge at some point but i it's very very important to me and very special to me so i want it to come out in exactly the right way like i don't want to i don't want to fuck around mm-hmm. you know i have some other pieces of music that i'm working on like usually if i do like solo stuff they're actually more compositional they're like more like structured improvisations so they have two other things that i'm i'm working on as far as that goes gotcha and so possibly this year possibly next year I hope so. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I mean, there's a few things that are floating around, but we'll see, you know. Um, well, thank you so much for chatting with me. I feel like oh, we could yeah. go, go go, a lot longer, but this has been really great. I'm hoping that, um, you know, the, the parts that kind of got uh, glitched out, we can, um, we can work around or just leave in as a weird experiment. Yeah, if they sound cool, just leave. Yeah, them. yeah. Yeah, no, it's so great talking to you, man. It's so great, like, um, I know we haven't actually met before. So it's really, really nice. Well, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of like-